Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another rousing rendition of what we like to call here the Brethren Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. AJ Woodson of MMBBGW, and I've got my illustrious co-host with me always, Dr. Ajamu Loving, PhD, CFP, and he can get you some TLC for your financeries. Uh, and Mr. Destrian Wells of D. Wells Consulting. My gentlemen, how are you doing this fine afternoon? Because yet again, we are trying this midday format that we so graciously love. Man, I'm doing great. Doing great, man. Yeah. Welcome back, bro. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I have uh, been doing the work of Brethren and uh, and much other uh, across the world. Uh, so trying to make this thing international uh, because uh, it's just it's, it is what it is. It's a relevant message. That we that we that we putting forth. So why not share it with people around the globe? Um, but since we're doing this midday format, uh, we aren't we aren't you doing the typical uh drinking thing. Uh Doc, mm-hmm. I think, has some coffee. Uh Deshian has uh Deshian has some some uh, a glass of Coca-Cola. Uh me and myself, I have a small what? sample here of some uh some very special uh brandy that I got. From a vineyard in Cape Town, South Africa. So, that's all. With, as we normally do, look. I mean, that's all. That's, that's all. all. Yeah. Uh, as we normally do, we still will do the toast to a great conversation. Uh, bread being dropped, and uh, hopefully, some people will be able to pick up some crumbs from it. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. Well, all right. So. As usual, I have not told y'all what the what the topic is. Of course. Um, and we were having a bit of a conversation uh pre-recording, and it helped me figure out what the actual working title would be. So today's uh topic of focus is gonna be executive engagement. Executive engagement and uh, just kind of delving into the proper ways to communicate at a high level with people. I know Destrian uh, often uses that phrase when we're when you know when we're speaking. Um, and doing things like that. He's like, let's have a high level conversation. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a uh, I don't want to say a trendy phrase, but it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's being entered more into the lexicon, uh, and daily use of people like high level, high level. Um, but I, you know, we, we, we like to frame things in, 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 in tiers of executive. Uh, so, you know, we're going to talk about some executive engagement, uh, because there are some pertinent conversations happening, uh, offline and, and in other places. Uh, where there is a certain uh, decorum that you that you use in these conversations, but you also have to make sure that you stand true to yourself and you get your point across. And uh, to uh, to uh, quote uh, someone from a fight DVD that I saw back in my youth, we ain't finna fry for these peck of woods. Let's keep it real. Um, so just me saying the phrase executive engagement, <laughs> Mr. Wales, what comes to your mind uh, when you hear that phrase executive engagement, man, it, this is crazy. So um, I was having a conversation earlier this morning, actually, with my wife. We were talking about, like, basically how we miss each other in terms of communication. I think often, like, high-level conversations or higher frequency or higher vibration conversations, they happen naturally. And when you try to have an agenda and when you try to force things or push a narrative, you can kind of decrease the value of that natural uh, human interaction or engagement 
And when you're simply having a discussion where the outcome or desired outcome is betterment, I think, you know, those, those situations tend to play out a little bit better. So when I hear the term executive conversation, I don't even think about the workplace first. I think about being on the same page with uh, the people around me that matter the most. That's my, my wife, my kids, people like you all, because those are the things that, that keep my life going. Those are the things, the ecosystem that I need able to, in order to, to allow me to go to work and be successful. So I think executive level conversations actually start in the home. And it's important that we start them there because you're able to more appropriately communicate when you get to the workplace because it's a way of life as opposed to, you know, the code switching that we do. Um, you were just saying about tap dancing and that type of thing. But really, it's about finding your authentic voice. And that's the, that's the exclusivity or the executive nature of which I think conversations need to happen in a more authentic way. And as long as you're doing that, I think the frequency and the vibration is automatically magnified. So that's kind of how I look at it and how I would frame it or shape it um, from, from my perspective, at least on the outset. Yeah, I would say that, uh, especially when I think about executive engagement, um, I think that definitely communication is a big part of that, making sure that um, the full understanding of what the outcome of not just the conversation, but what the goals are organizationally, individually. I think all of those things need to be at the forefront of your mind. I think you need to know the resources that will will help you actually execute. And I think that's the operative word in this whole uh, in the sentences. You know, when we're talking about executives, their job is not just to see and understand what the direction is likely to be, but from having those high level conversations and increasing understanding with the people who are around around you um, and the understanding of the resources that you have, now you can actually go out and engage in a more practically um, successful manner, I think, in at least directed manner. And so I think it's important to have both these conversations, but also uh, understand that it's important to have conversations with an idea of how are we going to operationalize these things and get moving. And so a lot of the a lot of the back and forth, I think, to DJ's point is uh, you don't want to walk in with a whole bunch of preconceived notions about, hey, things have to go this way. Um, I think we all have a pretty good idea in our mind when we're presented with a problem or an opportunity. Like we have our own sort of, hey, this is the way in which we should probably approach this. The importance of having that engagement, having that circle that you can talk to and having these conversations is so that you can find out more about both the opportunity, uh, more about the resources, more about the attitudes of the people who are around you so that you can actually start to conceive of uh, what it is that you need to do to 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 move towards whatever the goal is, right? And so it's it, these are the important things before you start actually acting. I've seen some of the biggest mistakes that executives and leaders make um, are around the idea, idea of going off uh, with the information they have and their own intuition. Um, and certainly when you're talking about executives that are coming into a new uh, organization, 
the, I think the impetus at first, many times people think, oh, okay, well, they're bringing me in. So I need to, I need to be here and be ready to make some changes because if they wanted everything the same, they wouldn't have brought me in. And that's a valid point. But also, before you start swinging the bat, you need to know a little bit about how the pitcher tends to pitch so that you can have an idea of uh, what you can do to increase the odds of you connecting with the ball, getting the hit or home run or whatever needs to happen at the end of the day. And so um, the, uh, the overconfidence that people have because they've had prior experiences that are similar to the one that they might be faced with, those things can end up putting you in a place where you do uh, the, the com- something that's completely wrong, given the organization or individuals you're working with, right? So as an executive, when you're engaging, yeah, it sure it's about getting the job done. Sure it's about, you know, not sitting on your hands, but you have to give yourself the information necessary to make things happen and do it well. One of the best interviews I ever saw, um, or at least components of, of this uh, interview, was for a dean of a college of business. And he, uh, they asked him, hey, what, plan- what, what changes do you plan to make? And he said, well, um, you know, he identified some of the opportunities for the college that any university would have and said, hey, you know, you don't have a name school of business. There are donors out there, these types of things. But before I start talking about the direct actions that I'm going to do, let me talk to you about my 90 day process. He said the first 30 days, all I'm doing is observing. I'm fine. I'm meeting the people. I'm finding out where our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats are. Right. That's called the SWOT analysis. When people say that, that's what they mean. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats. From there, uh, the next 30 days, from day 60, uh, from days 30 to 60, now we're starting to actively um, architect where it is that we might be able to go and seeking feedback on some of that architecture. So the engagement continues as you're going through that process. And then in that last 60 to 90 days, we're finalizing our actual plan and beginning to get ready to launch our activities on day 90. And what that showed me in an interview process and then when somebody actually engages and operates that way, it shows, number one, respect for the people who are already on the ground doing the work and the um, what it is that uh, the institution's doing well or the group is doing well. And then it's, it brings in that collaborative component of, hey, let's now start to think about ways that we can reimagine and improve, right? And then from there, we start to finalize those things and really uh, draw down in some level of granularity the detail necessary to, to, to go about doing these things. And then now we can execute, right? I think that when you jump to the conclusion before going through some of these steps, it doesn't have to be a full 90-day process. You start to increase the odds that you can be off base and in some cases very far off base when you are operating with all of the facts that are there folks will let you fall on your face especially if you come in as a haughty executive or think that you have all the answers when you don't and doc i think um one of the things that 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 you brought up that i would just highlight when you say executive engagement you didn't say executive argument like that we're not walking into this room to just participate in a bunch of discourse. 
engagement is about outcomes. And I think when you frame things in terms of we have the right people in a room, whether that's from a business perspective or a life perspective, you're talking to your spouse, you're focused on outcomes. In a business setting, you're focused on outcomes. So you have the people in a room that are going to equip you or inform your decision in terms of the outcome that we're collectively trying to get to. And I think that's where leadership being the language of communication comes into a great effect, right? And so again, executive engagement, not executive arguments, but you're looking to explore and get to better outcomes. And I think, again, higher frequency or higher vibration conversations are about the fact that we know that you're in this room because your opinion lends value or it has some type of value to it. So as opposed to minimizing that, you want to elevate the other people in the room to engage with you and share the information in order to achieve the desired outcome. And I think that's the difference between executive level communication and when you're talking about discourse or conversation, right? Um, and, and so I think, you know, you pointed out some, some things that were, I think, great in terms of perspective and outlook, but ultimately outcomes are what you're looking at. And those people would not be in the room if you didn't deem them valuable or worthy to weigh in on the decision. And so you have to value, you know, the input that they provide. I think, uh, I think instead of using the word outcome, I would replace it with output just for, just for more tangibility. Cause it's, you know, in terms of like what, 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 what doc was saying with like, a you know, somebody coming in to run a, a process at a college where you thinking from a business point, it's like, okay, where's the output coming from of, you know, obviously enrollment bringing people in, Where's what's what's going? Where are the the places that we can just like okay, this process is too slow or this process isn't you know updated or modernized that kind of thing. But Doc also brought up a good point that I wanted to that I wanted you all to hone in on too. Um, and DJ, you 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 hinted on it. And when we're talking about executive engagement, it's it's, it's key to note that we're not exactly exactly talking about you know being an executive or being in an executive room but it also it also stands to be noted that both sides have to know how to do this right it takes two to tango at all times and if you know and even in in more settings it's more than two people uh doing this at the same time so even if you're not an you know an executive or a leader or in a leadership position, you still need to know how to communicate with people in that position and vice versa. People in that position need to know how to communicate with people that aren't in that position. Um, so in terms of executive engagement, we're just talking about the broader conversation of communication, whereas everybody has to know how to have authentic and truthful conversations with each other when it comes to any and every topic but mainly focus here. We talking about life and business, cause you know that's that's what we do. Mm-hmm. But the question and 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 the area that I want to push this conversation to now is in terms of practicing these skills mm-hmm. and having the skill set. Because for some people it comes naturally and it just has to be you know whittled and refined. But to some people it's something that has to be taught to them. And you know there are only certain aspects that you can you know teach people like there you know just for instance there are public speaking classes which there are people who are totally averted to that when they you know they take that class and it brings them out of their shell a little bit but that doesn't mean that they want to now go around the world doing public speeches it helps them just you know on a very basic level where now they can have basic conversations and engage with people 
better than they did before when they were totally averted to the idea of public speaking and whatever yeah. you know shape, way shape or form uh, that it came in um so just in terms of practicing uh the skill mm-hmm. and staying um good at it if you are good at it um what you know how would you all deem that practice and you know how do you practice uh those skills yeah. I, you know I, i'll throw it to yeah. you first yeah no let me just say that i think that I think that being an executive is not something that's certainly not limited to your uh, to what it is that you do for a living or your job title. I should say specifically when you start talking, everybody ought to be an executive, executive, the chief executive officer of their own life. Right. And I think just the executive part maybe deserves a bit of focus because so many times in life we find ourselves responding to thing after thing and putting out fires in our own lives. And I think sometimes it's important to recognize that the fires that you experience in your own life aren't always just because of chance and bad things happening to you. Sometimes the fires that we experience in our lives a function of us not being executives or executive like in our in our actions in our meaning in our um and what it is that we're actually doing right and so you let stuff happen to you right your finances are a matter of well you know uh it's just what happens to be left in my pocket is what i'm going to be able to save or invest what, uh, whether or not I'm going to be able to make my bills is whether or not the hourly uh, numbers come in or these business deals just flow or I get lucky, right? Those types of things, rather than being on top of planning what it is that you want to accomplish and then going out and doing it, having an idea of the resources, having an idea of the time and having an idea of uh, the goals, right? And and as I've said before, a goal is not a goal until it has both a timeline and a dollar sign, right? And so when we start thinking about what it is that we actually want to do, everybody ought to be an executive and you ought to be engaged in your own life. Now, your, your ability to be powerful and influence things around you yeah, to a certain extent, it's going to uh, to fall in line with the type of work you do or the job position that you have. But that executive skill set, that ability to acquire knowledge, that ability to act on that knowledge and that ability to bring out output or outcomes that are consistent with improvement. Those things are, are skill sets that will make you successful in whatever chosen direction that you uh, happen to pick. You just have to pick one. And again, that's even a, you know, that's another part of being an executive and being engaged is recognizing at some point you have to make a decision. When we make those decisions, we want to make informed decisions, which again gets back to that communication, that finding out what all of the details are to the best degree that you can. And then looking at the people Yep, that's right. I said it. People, because people are more important than things. That's the most important yeah. element, right? Where you can have that resource of folks that can can help you out through a thing and give you knowledge and, and uh, support and all of that. Those things are extraordinarily important in business, but also in life. What can each person bring to the table and contribute? Now we can start to see how quickly we can progress towards 
what our goals are that we've collectively decided upon. But if you don't do those things and then bad things happen, it's not because you're unlucky. It's because you have not done the things that are necessary for you to be able to set a good direction and execute on it. Bad things happen to not just unsuccessful people. They happen to successful people too, all the time. The difference is the uns- the the unsuccessful person just looks at it as, oh, okay, well, I have bad luck. My family is cursed. We can't get what it is that we want. Every time I try something, it just breaks up and it's not, you know, it's not workable for me. The people who tend to be successful look at the elements of their failure and they look at the elements of maybe prior successes or successes from others. And that's why having that that circle of influence is extraordinarily important so that you can start to see, okay, this fell down. How can we do something better? How can we improve this going forward? How can we go maybe in another direction and pivot to something that's going to likely be successful? But all of those things require an internal locus of control. And what, what I mean by that is you recognizing that the outcomes are going to be based on what it is that you input and that quality of those is going to be, at least in part, based on the information that you receive from others. You know, you can't lead in a vacuum. You can't lead in a position where uh, nobody else has input or at least not lead well. So uh, the communication part of it is important, but also understanding that, you know, as a as any individual, and, and, and I think one of the best things that, that I've seen fathers do, especially typically with young men, is talk to them about, no, this is your responsibility. When you start thinking about things as, oh, this is my responsibility, even from a little kid, now you recognize that the outcome as is, is attached to the activities that you do. And you better get used to that in life because the fact is, if you're going to be successful, you're going to have some rain, you're going to have some storms, you're going to have some fires, you're going to have some tough times. But the way in which you either succeed or fail is going to be based on what it is that you do in the face of those challenges and what it is that you do when you are presented with opportunities. But again, you have to engage. So I don't know, you know, I don't know if you uh, were conceiving of it that way, but that was sort of the way I was thinking of it. AJ. No, I'm a, you, you look, you go, you go paint your own picture. I'm just, you know, I'm supplying, I'm supplying supplies <laughs> and I'm saying paint, paint how you want. I'm not going to tell you what I want, but um, I do want to point out, cause you brought up, you brought up uh, a point, um, you know, successful and unsuccessful people and how we, how we deem and how people look at situations and circumstances and outcomes, um, but one of the things with, you know, it's like the elephant in the room that, that has to be acknowledged is the fact that a lot of successful people have the ability or the privilege of, uh, taking those hits and things of that nature, which, you know, could be, you know, somewhat attributed to their, you know, their engagements and their communication and things that happened to them along the mm-hmm. way. And then you've got your unicorns that come from, a, uh, you know, a somewhere different, but are able to, you know, produce and, and become successful, um, but definitely want to, you know, got to make that distinction where there are some, you know, a majority of people, I think, in my mind that are successful are able to take those losses. And therefore, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't affect them the way that it is, where it's like, you know, the first time failure hurts, but and everybody doesn't get over it. 
But then once you get over it the first time, each time that it happens, not necessarily that you expect it, but if it does happen again, like you said, you can pull from your past experience and say, you know what, I've been down before. You know, I, I can get I can definitely, you know, surely get through this. And I've been through worse before. I can surely get through this. But then also yeah. being able to say, also being able to say, you know, some people just don't make it over that initial hump where it's like failure hits that first time and either they're going to have to sit down for a, a very long time in order to catch that lesson or they have the resources to quickly get over it, you know, financially or they just, you know, they sit down and they never recover from it and they, you know, they never try or, you know, go a totally different route because that thing didn't work for them. Um I think it, I think it's tough when folks internalize failure and call them basically end up thinking I am a failure because I failed in this opportunity. That's not that that's not what I'm saying. I think that it's important to take personal responsibility, learn from the, the behaviors or actions that got you either a positive or negative result. But that doesn't mean that you're stuck and mired in whatever it is. And that's failure or success, because I think there are folks who have had success with things and they just assume, oh, well, I'm charmed. Everything that I do is going to be uh, successful. And then they are dejected when something, when, you know, when, when a failure happens, right? And I think that the, the, the best way to be is recognize, hey, what's likely to happen is going to be based on my actions and understanding of what I'm doing. If it happens to go well, which you always hope that it does, that doesn't mean that I'm just some, you know, a, a person that's, to, that's magically put in place in, in, in a way where they can't fail. It's, oh, okay, these actions led to positivity. Let's, you know, let's let's accentuate the positive and try to um, eliminate or minimize the negative. Good thing. Wonderful thing to do. It doesn't remove the possibility of certain things not working out, whether it's a business, a marriage, any of these types of things. Stuff can always go sideways. The objective is to do the best that you can with what it is that you have, but also recognize and the collective abilities of others and how helpful they can be in that process too. And anytime you start forgetting those things or the people who can actually help you, you do it, you do that to your own potential detriment. So, so DJ, yeah, I see you about to think. chime in, but real quick, I want, I want to, I want to hit it. I want to hit you with a spin because a lot of this, you know, not even a lot of this, all of this conversation so far has been uh, under the guise of external dialogue. But I think the part that, you know, we often, you know, talk about is the internal dialogue when we're talking with ourselves and how important the executive engagement for our internal conversations, much like what Doc was just kind of alluding to, where it's like if a failure does happen, you don't internalize that and deem yourself a failure. But that's part of that executive engagement where that dialogue that you're having with yourself has come in because you're not going to tell anybody else. It's not as if this fails and now you have to go on a tour saying, hey, everybody, I'm not a failure because this happened. You got to really talk to yourself and tell that. So that's the part that I'm coming to you with to put that spin on it. Um, but, you know, whatever point you was about to make, Go ahead and make it, but I definitely want to hit you with that too. Of you know, in the frame, in the in the framework of internal dialogue and executive engagement from that aspect, it's critical. I mean, the the, the first the first point, the first point of contention is typically with yourself. The first person you have to convince is yourself, right? Like there has to be an internal belief that these things can happen. And let's be honest about this: success favors the prepared. Like. When Doc talks about 
things happening. Yeah, what can happen will happen, but your success is pretty much predicated on your readiness and your preparedness. Are you prepared for things not to go right and you're, you have the mental fortitude to get through it? Now, if you don't personally have that, hopefully your team around you has it. But going back to this, this, this notion of the executive mindset, that means the buck stops with you. You are the person making this decision, and therefore you have to be the one that puts the mission and the vision out for everyone else to follow it. They have to get on board with that. And if you're not sold on it yourself, nobody else is going to follow that. You know, you show me a confused person, I'll show you somebody that does nothing. You show me somebody with conviction, right, wrong, or indifferent, they're going to take action. Those people are action-oriented. So you want to be a person that's able to not only move others into action, but you have to be able to have the conviction behind your decisions that allow you to be action-oriented um, from for, your, for yourself and, and to be that self-starter, to be the leader, to be the person that is willing to be wrong. In, in order to be, you have to be willing to be wrong, right? So you have mm-hmm. to have that, that, that ilk or that skin that allows people to come to you and say, Deathstream, you could have been better today. Doc, you could have been better today. My question is going to be how so? And then you go back to the drawing board and you're able to do that. That's that's what executives do. That's what people in leadership capacities do. And I think Doc made a, a great point earlier about being your own chief executive officer. You don't, you don't need anybody else to give you these titles. You need to understand that every day Every day there are decisions that are being made by you on your behalf for people that will never meet you. And if you understand the value and the responsibility that you have from that perspective, I think you take your decision-making matrix a lot a lot more serious and a lot different. So when you think about where it starts from, AJ, then that internal clock, that internal desire, that fire that should be burning, you want to make sure that's well lit because – you're not going to always have somebody to like that for you. You're not going to always be able to fully be able to see the direction that you should go, but you should have enough, you know, of that, what do you call it, that it factor within you to be willing to be the one to make the decision, to be the one willing to take that strategic risk. You talked a little bit about that, about having the ability to make it. I think a lot of that is mental as well where instead of beating each other up about the mistakes that we make, we collectively learn from them and we give people some grace to, to get it wrong enough times to finally get it right, right? And if we look at it as lessons instead of losses, those things end up adding up to be the sum of the experience that you need to be a great executive, to be a great leader, to be a great decision maker, a thought leader. All these things come from quite frankly, mistakes. No mm-hmm. one has, no one who's ever gotten it all right can be a great teacher. No one who's gotten it all right is going to be able to empathize or sympathize with folks and be able to bring them along on the journey. So it, it's going to take some scarring, some some tears, some some blood, some sacrifice in order to put yourself or and or your family or others in a situation where there's a collective benefit. Someone has to shoulder the load for that and I think that the people that do, they're a special breed, but it all it all starts with a mindset 
that you make up, you make your mind up that you are willing to be the person that's going to sacrifice. You're going to be the person that's willing to get it wrong. And all the, all the negative things that are associated with that, we often don't see. We just celebrate the end result, which is, hey, we got the ball across the finish line. But we need to start making sure we understand that there is a price to be paid as relates to being a leader or being a person that is in the position to make these types of decisions. And we also need to help people get through that day-to-day interaction that often starts with inside of themselves. And there's a lot of self-doubt that happens there. So that in- the encouragement that's needed, the inspiration that's needed, they have to draw that from somewhere. And certainly the people that you correlate around you are a breeding ground for, for what your output or your outcomes are going to be. So I think that was an mm-hmm. excellent question, dude. Yeah, and uh, I think what it what it also you you brought up was it brings back in the risk reward factor of things where it's uh, but also that frame of mind where you have to understand that a lot of the reward you may not physically or actually reap. It has to be a future mindset thing where it's like what is you know this struggle which is the risk, this failure which is the risk is going to far out. You know, it's it's going to dwindle in comparison to the reward that this is going to reap even just from the basic standpoint of if i fail at this i can tell mine how what doesn't work what does work and now we can you know i can either continue to work on this until i perfect it and then hand them a perfected thing or i can hand them a project that's halfway done and they can finish it themselves and not have to go through uh the losses and the lessons uh it's already written down for them in a book yeah, the biggest, the biggest about- thing with that, I, I, I'm gonna jump real quick, Doc, and I'll give it to you. The biggest thing with that is, you don't want to constantly be in a situation where you can't lend your experience to other people. Like, forget expertise. Sometimes you just need the other person's experience so that you don't have to go through what they went through to get to the outcome. Right? Experience is a really expensive teacher. And if I can avoid the experiences of it or going through something traumatic, I don't need you to be an expert. I just need you to help me understand, hey, man, you probably mm-hmm. don't want to do this this way because I've already done that. And I think there should not be a monopoly on good information. And what I would mm-hmm. encourage folks to do is to share more information with more people so that, again, we can learn, grow, and execute at a more rapid rate. But over to you, Doc. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely more about progress than perfection. And I think sometimes, especially when we start to look at the outcomes of things, be like, oh, man, that worked out. This company is in a position where it's having an IPO and all of the people who worked at the company are rich. And then you wonder sometimes, hey, they made it, they're rich. Why are folks leaving the company? Because they're tired. That's why. Because it was a far from perfect process. When you get to the to that sort of finish line, a whole lot has happened. If you watch uh, an Olympic level quarter miler run, you would think that person has never cramped in their life. They're winning a gold medal and they glide smooth across the track. And you're watching them and you're thinking, man, this is a this is a superhuman person. What you haven't seen is all of those training runs that they went on when they were throwing up on the side of the track, all the cramps they got, 
all of the times when they were laying on that trainer's table and they were massage, getting the, uh, their hamstring massaged out, all the times when they're in that in that cold tub trying to get their life together, when they're wondering, man, am I good enough to be a world champion level sprinter? Am I is this is this worth it? Can I do it? Like those doubts, those those difficulties, all of those things are there. But when you watch them, they look smooth as butter and then they're standing on top of a podium and you say to yourself, wow, what, what must life be like for a person like that to be able to run like the wind and stand on top of podiums? And they they are remembering what must like have been like. I've been I've thrown up in countless garbage cans, had ca- countless cramps, ran till I felt like my toes were going to fall off. And my fingers were shaking and my heart was beating so hard, I thought it was going to fly out my chest so that I can be in a position to have this one beautiful, flawless, less than a minute run that makes everybody think that I'm some God. But it, but if you ask them and you look at their training regimens and you watch all of that, all of what's happened, the, the coach knows the athlete knows everybody who's engaged in that sport. When you really think about it, oh, they know, man. This is this, it's about progress. It's about that inch. It's about getting one tick of a second faster, getting your movements one one little bit more efficient, so that you can experience the success that is consistent with your abilities. But they recognize those abilities aren't something that's just some some something that was just already out there. No, those that's a that's an expanded frontier based on what it is that you put into it. Right. The blood, the sweat, the tears, the cramping, the workouts that you have to do when you don't feel like it. All of these are elements of getting ahead. If it was easy everybody would have it already you know that's just how it is if it was if it was easy to do everybody would have done it for you to do what it is that you are called to do sure you are uniquely talented to do what is your calling but that doesn't mean that it's going to happen without difficulty and certainly not without some work, some elbow grease, some sweat, some nights where you're wondering whether or not I can. And that's to you guys' point about, hey, having those people around you that can speak life into and tell you, hey, you got this, you can do this. You know, accountability partners who can tell you, hey, man, have you looked at this yet? Have you done these things? People in your life with ideas who are saying, oh, you're doing this. Hey, have you looked at this group? There's this conference that's going on that's doing that. Exp- helping you expand your network, increase your um the the your own vistas, right? Broaden those vistas so you can see the opportunities around you. And you have to have the the mindset that says, Hey, I am I am a person that that's a, a vessel, but I'm not a I'm not a vessel with boundaries. I can take in information from all of these places. I can learn new things and I can apply those things to things I already want uh, want to accomplish. Also, I can take in that information and maybe refine what it is that I want to accomplish once I see what's possible in other ways and where resources might, might be available. You have to be willing to examine um, that, that whole risk-reward um, 
cost benefit analysis that uh, that you're talking about, AJ. You have to be willing to say, okay, I'm I'm going to take a risk. Um, in that if poem by Rudyard Kipling, he says, hey, you know, if I can make one heat of all my winnings, risk it on one turn, pitch and toss, lose and not, and start again in my beginnings, and never breathe a word about my loss. That is that is some serious success oriented. I'm going, I see it, I want it. Um, I'm I'm willing to do what it takes to 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 get it. And and if it doesn't happen, boom, I'm not going to just give up. I'm gonna start again at my beginnings. And I'm not gonna dwell in and live in my failure. I'm willing to push and feel love for giving a minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run this time. Now. I don't want you running headlong in the brick walls repeatedly. This is where it's important to listen. And I think for men, a lot of times we have difficulty with that. And certainly in the household, sometimes we do because we feel like we are called on to be leaders in our homes. And we most certainly are. But a good leader takes in information and listens to the people who are also a part of that household because success ain't going to feel like success. Certainly if you're a married man, unless she can feel successful too, right? So y'all need to both be in a position where your input counts. You can understand that this is a united vision that we have. And now we can start to execute in our own ways to make this collective joint vision work. But you oh, have man, to, you, you have to be shit. willing. Exactly. And then you know, they may fare too well in the world hey, as, man, as we know it. Man, look, man, the dictator, man, people feel like it's good. You got to walk with you kings and when... not lose the common touch. See, I know yeah, I'm telling you. too now. Yeah, now I know you do. But when those shoes whipping at you, or when you or when you the overflow or the coup happens because you've operated as a dictator, and you're like, wait, why is she? Why is she leaving? Where is it? Well, I thought everything was cool. It's, why is my team? Why is my team abandoning right. me? Right, you front ran. You did what you wanted to do, and you didn't take information in. Sometimes it leads to failure. Sometimes it leads to hollow success. But oftentimes, what happens when you're running alone? own and not making sure that you actually have your team with you and behind you is you do end up by yourself. But that's part of the executive engagement in itself, right? Where it's like everybody has to know how to communicate from both sides. But then and that part of that communication is the intake Mm -hmm. of somebody else's output and then vice versa, where it's like I have to be able to fluently speak to you. You have to be able to fluently understand me and vice versa, where it's like, uh, you know, traveling, one of the things and this is, you know, this is just, you know, one example that, that that comes to mind is we were in an Uber and our Uber driver spoke English, but obviously English isn't his first language. He was from uh, he was from Uganda. Uh, and we were asking him, where could we get some uh, some good jollof rice? And just, you know, based on maybe our accent or, you know, just his hearing of, you know, the what we said, he thought we said giraffe. He was like, no, nah, we don't eat that here. And we was like, y'all don't eat. Jolof, he was like, no, we don't eat giraffe. We was like, no, not giraffe, Jolof. And he was like, oh, and then, but it was that, it was, you know, the the difference of language. Uh-huh, moment. Yeah, it was the difference <clears throat> well, of language where it's like, just, just a visual example of, you know, the engagement was not there and it was no fault of anybody else's. It was just 
you know, verbiage used or whatever. Cause he, he basically explained, he was like, Oh, you got to ask, you know, we ask about, and it was a word that he used, like basically saying, where do you get food that, that you eat with your hands, like typical African food or whatever. But we named, a, you know, a dish where it's like, they don't necessarily just say the dish that may be, you know, something that they Americanized mm-hmm. to bring it over. Like, Oh, you yeah. know, we call it Joe Lafayette, but at home we call it, you know, something totally different or whatnot. Um, but just, you know, that, that that brings up that whereas you have to have both sides being able to fluently understand and communicate with uh you know with each other to be able to get that across like you said get to that point where it's like okay it feels like a dictatorship because nobody ever expressed to the dictator that they felt like they were in a dictatorship you know it could be a it could be a, it could be a, a little bit of delusion a little bit of grandeur where it's like they you know they never knew that that was going on because the fluidity of conversation wasn't flowing. And it could be some things where there were barriers in place and things of that nature, but that just speaks to the importance of being able for both sides to understand. And part of that engagement is understanding where you fall in that process. Whereas people, you know, are going to have to understand, okay, you know what? I don't have a desire to be a leader. I don't want to be a leader, but I need to know how to communicate with a leader because I definitely don't want to be in a dictatorship. And then vice versa, where the leader has to be set, you know, I'm a leader, but I also have to know how to communicate and receive from people that are under my guidance. But I also don't want to be a dictator. And that conversation, and that's the level of executive engagement that I'm talking about, where I'm glad that I can give you all such a seemingly simple topic and you all can make it a profound conversation and a profound topic with all kind of uh, anecdotes uh, and informational uh informational you know insight into into you know what it is because it, it can seem very simple like executive engagement and you can make it very very straightforward like okay we're talking to ceos but it's not it's very more it's, it's much more nuanced uh and then all of the different ways that we've been able to kind of point out different aspects and uh, outcomes and situations where this where this applies um but in in in, in how we normally do it now I come to y'all and ask for these tangible things that we do. We've kind of pointed out a few. Uh, DJ mentioned earlier, you know, having a, having an authentic voice, which ultimately led to, you know, the, the piece where we were redeemed, where it, it, there is an internal dialogue in terms of executive engagement. You got to talk to yourself and be true to yourself. So having that authentic voice starts with being authentic with yourself. Um, and I, 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 I feed y'all the quote of power is the ability to define phenomena and make it act in a desired manner which we get from the great uh, Huey P. Newton. But now is the time for y'all to tell people what are the tangible things to do where they can either start on their journey of getting better at executive engagement, no matter what side they fall on, finding out what side they come on, because maybe they may not know it, uh, and practicing and deliberately putting themselves in place and situations and scenarios where they're able to hone and craft the skill to be able to have these fluid conversations where nothing really is lost. Everything is there and everything is authentic. I'll, I'll throw it to you, DJ, first, and then we'll finish with Doc. Yeah, I think the first thing is, man, you need to you need to go ahead and get comfortable failing. Let's just, let's get comfortable failing. You do not have to get it right every time. And I think you need to be willing to learn and grow from those failures. Ultimately, that's what's going to drive your success. And I think that so many times we're concerned about getting it right that we don't take the chance, right? 
So I need us to take the chance. Number one, trust yourself enough to take the chance. Trust the people around you to help pick you up when you inevitably fail. And also be willing to stay the course in order to get to the other side of that. And you can enjoy the success because, again, that experience, you're going to be able to bring other people along with you. You're going to be able to go much further, much faster together than you're going to be able to go along. And those are the real tangible things that that I see in terms of executive um, executive engagement. It's the willingness to do just that, engage and get out of your own way, get out of your head, get out of your own way and actually be okay with some of the failures that come as a part of the process and journey to success. So whatever that I, whatever I can do, whatever brethren can do to help advance those efforts. If you have ideas around, you know, something you want to get off the couch and start doing, be okay with, be okay with failing. And let's take this trip. Let's take this journey together and let's, let's get these things done, man. So, Executive engagement starts with first the ability to make a decision for yourself that you want to be a part of the game. So get in the game and uh, and really start taking ownership of your choices, your decision making. You're going to be better for it and the people that like, love and care about you will, too. Yeah. So so it's interesting. And I think failure is, a, is an interesting point to, to sort of focus on. right? Because it's not just progress versus perfection. I think that I think that's a takeaway. Yeah, you need to be uh, progress minded towards those goals, not uh, thinking that things are going to operate in perfection and then recognize and have a third P. And that's perspective. Right. And so I think sometimes we we lack tenacity because we want each thing to fall down like a domino in the order that we planned it. And that's when we say, okay, yeah, things are progressing the way that I want to. And, you know, you operate in a place where it all looks perfect. And I can tell you that any uh, long process is going to come fraught with some some levels of, of failure. So uh, my, my, my chosen martial art, which I've loved for a long time and been engaged in since 1999, is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I... Um, had the goal when I started of becoming a, a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I have become that, right? But it is not a thing that I have done perfectly. There have been gaps when I wasn't attending because I, I couldn't attend as much because my schedule wouldn't allow me to, but also throughout the process, failure is built into it. You're going to get submitted. People are going to be better than you. They're going to tap you out. That's when you have to yield, not quit, Yield because the pressure on a limb or the pressure on your uh, arteries becomes too much that you might end up in a position where you're unconscious, right? Those are moments of yielding, right? But they're not moments of quitting. And I think the perspective comes in mind. It's like, oh, okay, I learned not to make that particular movement, not to say I'm going to get out of the game and quit completely. And I think so many times people are looking for things to flow perfectly because, you know, you watch HGTV or something like that. You know, they start out with a house that looks like trash. And then by the end of a 30 minute episode, it's all completely finished. Everything's beautiful. And you turn the home and folks are crying and everybody looks at, at the success. They look at the outcome. 
That's not a typical home remodeling or improvement experience, right? There are going to be some times in which things don't work out the way you thought you they would. You have to have a there's a, a few pieces of ceramic tile that are broken on the side of the of the house because those cuts that you made didn't work out the way that you thought they would. Like all of these things that you don't see in that clean episode are a part of the overall progress from where they were to where they're going. And so recognize that there are going to be obstacles. There are going to be uh, times that things don't work out the way that uh, you thought or hoped that they would. But the same way you would in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you tap, you readjust, and you try not to make the same mistake. Takes over and the same, you know, a same thing could fall out. And next thing you know, you're in a, in a position where you're also getting choked, you're getting something, getting a limb stretched out that you hoped wouldn't happen. But guess what? That's part of the game. That's part of the progression. That's part of recognizing that, that you know, this is not something that happens without unpleasant moments. And so, you know, I think sometimes f people think of failure as something that is just, hey, it's all encompassing. But there are so many people, certainly high achievers, who look at, oh, I'm supposed to get a 100 on each and every thing. I'm supposed to ha be able to to knock it out each and every time. And you recognize over time that it's usually not like that. You're going to have great days. You're going to have off days. You're going to have sh some strategies that work better than others. You're going to have people in your life who can be more or less productive as folks you are leading at different times. And you have to recognize that none of those things mean that the goal is something that can't be accomplished. You need to have that perspective that, okay, this thing didn't happen. Let's start marking our progress towards where the goal is despite this setback. Anytime you approach a uh, uh, sea captain sets out to sea as soon as that boat becomes undocked they are immediately off course immediately off course because water does what it does and the boat is floating and water and what's the the captain's job the captain's job is to write the ship and continuously write the ship throughout the entire journey so that the course that they plan on taking is the one that they're actually on but it's not something that's a straight line that happens without some effort, without any level of deviation. No, we got to write the ship and go this way. We got, okay, we keep moving. There are going to be storms. There are going to be high wind days and you have to adjust to all of these elements that are going to impact the journey that you take. You can't quit. You can't take your ball and go home. You can't just sit there and freeze. You have to recognize where it is that you're trying to go, write the ship, and continue your journey. As usual, I thank you all for uh, embarking on this journey with me. It's been a it's been a fun one, as always. Uh, with this, like I said, with this simple topic, you all have made it a very profound conversation uh, on executive engagement. And the only thing that I think that I can truly say that everybody needs to definitely take away besides everything that was said is keep in mind to have your authentic voice, but also understanding the authentic value of your voice. And that starts with a, you know, a high level conversation with yourself. Uh, Deshreen mentioned, you know, having the confidence uh, outside, but you need to have the inner confidence to know that, okay, it's okay to, to be the position that I am or what, you know, whatever uh, you choose to be. Uh, but you also need to 
be confident in communicating your efforts and your intentions with others. Uh, and at the head of that list is obviously yourself. Failure is not finite. Uh, so don't, don't, don't ever think that it is. Uh, and in the illustrious words of Dr. Loving, the new thing is, is going to be timelines and dollar signs. You know, I think that's going to be at the top of my list over people, over things. It's always going to be people over things. It always will be. But timelines and dollar signs is just something that I feel like should be on the tag of a Corvette uh, 2000 and, uh, 1998 edition or something like that. Timelines and dollar signs is a new mantra and motto uh, of this year. We'll add that to the list of uh of just things that we're all about. We're all about timelines and dollar signs. A goal is nothing without a timeline and a dollar sign. We didn't say and or. You need both. Uh, so with that, we will leave you uh, with this conversation. Hopefully something came from it. If it did, please make sure that you're following us on all our social media at Brethren Podcast. That's bread spelled B-R-E-A-D-R-E-N because we're always talking about our bread and we always get into that bread. Timelines and dollar signs, baby. Follow uh, Dr. Ajamu Loving at Dr. Ajamu Loving on all social media. Uh, Ajamu Loving on Money and You on Facebook, uh, DrAjamuLoving.com. Mr. Desha Wills, you can find him at Empower, Engage, Execute on all social media platforms, dwillsconsultant.com. Um, you can find me at mmbbgw.com, 248, the numbers, MMBB on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we love y'all. There's nothing you can do about it. And please tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend that the Bridging Podcast is on. Come get your crumbs. We love you and we out. Bridging.